Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message.
Keller did a brilliant job of preaching about how to judge well. If you were here, wasn't that great? Uh, that was fantastic, Colin. Good job. Um, but uh, he talked about how, to, how it's important that we judge gracefully, but also that we judge with humility. And, uh, of course, Jesus ends by saying, I mean, how, why, why do you look at the speck of dust in your brother's eye and yet ignore the plank in your own eye? And it's right after this phrase that we pick up this week's teaching. And so, um, as we dive into it, I think this text today will help us answer the question, can we judge a book by its cover? So, let's uh, pick it up, Luke chapter 6, verse 43. If you've got bullet notes, you can pull those out. If you have a Bible, of course, you can follow along. And these are the words of Jesus. He says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. This is the word of God. Can we pray? Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you you use it in so many ways to make us more like you, to encourage us, to lift us up, to challenge us, to uh, even to rebuke us. Uh, Whatever it is, Lord, you need to do in us today through your word, we pray you do it. We open our hearts and our minds to receive from you. So Holy Spirit, be at work in your word within us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the topic of today's message is very simple. It's heart transformation. And the big idea that I want to get across today is simply this. Jesus is in the business of transforming human hearts. And today, I think he's inviting us to look at the book covers of our lives. But more importantly, to to open up those books and to look at what's inside. Christ wants to dive deep into the pages of our hearts so that he can do his good work in us and through us. Jesus wants to change each and every one of us, each and every one of you and me. He wants to change us from the inside out. So that's where ultimately where we're heading this morning. But to get there, I first want to walk through three concepts that we find in Christ's teaching this morning. And what you'll discover is that these concepts that we're going to explore in this set of texts kind of build one on top of another. So here's the first concept. Very simple. Who you are on the outside reveals who you are on the inside. Jesus said no true, uh, no good tree produces bad fruit, and a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. In other words, our outside behavior often reveals a lot about our inner character. Jesus said that a tree can be recognized by its own fruit. Uh, recently, uh, a couple weeks ago, Karen and I just bought a new house in Northeast Edmonton, and uh, I'm stoked about this this new house. And one of the things that I, I'm pretty happy about is that it's got a lot of fruit trees in the backyard. Fruit trees and berry trees. I didn't plant them. I just get to eat them. Uh, so there's like apple and sour cherry and other different berry bushes, etc. And so I'm walking through the backyard with the owner of the house, and I recognize the plant, and I pointed to it, and I said, "Oh, you've got raspberries." To which he said, no, that's not a raspberry bush. That's a blackberry bush. And then he pointed over to the right, or to my left, his right, and said, that is a raspberry bush. I have no idea. They looked exactly the same to me. I could not tell the difference between the two. Apparently he could because, of course, he had planted them. But they looked identical. I could not tell the difference, which means I'll have to take his word for it 
until later in the season because that is when the fruit will appear and I will know which bush is what. Here's the thing. If black currants show up on that plant, I will not say, hey, it's a raspberry bush. If black currants show up on the plant, I will say, hey, it's a black currant bush. Nobody in their right mind would ever say that. It goes against nature, and that's the point Jesus is making. You can recognize a tree by its fruit. So let me return to the question. Can we judge a book by its cover? And Jesus seems to be saying that you can. Now, that idiom, when it first was recorded, the first recording incident of that idiom was in 1867. And its original meaning was just simply this. Don't judge a person by her appearance. Not by her clothes, not by the color of her skin, which I think Jesus would agree with. You don't judge a person simply by their appearance. But of course, Jesus wasn't talking about a person's appearance. He was saying that your behavior reveals a lot about who you are on the inside. So, for example, you're out in a restaurant, you notice a table across from you, there's a man there, he's a father, he's got his family there with him, and he's getting really, really drunk. Um, he belittles his wife, he taunts his children, he flirts with the waitress. Should we ignore the book cover? Or does that book cover reveal something that's going on beneath the surface of that man's life? Or do you recognize the man by the fruit of his relationship? So, your behavior does reveal a lot about your inner person. Your good behavior or your bad behavior gives glimpses of the content of your character. But here's the thing. Here's what I've discovered. Is that most of us are pretty good at behavior management when other people are around, when other people are watching. So our public fruit isn't always the best indicator of what's really going on inside of us. The best in indicator is the fruit of our private lives. That's the fruit that ultimately reveals our character. It's who you are when nobody's looking. The secrets that we keep, the secrets that we keep are the real indicators of what's going on beneath the surface. This is perhaps why Jesus told his disciples on a number of different occasions to do their good deeds in secret. He said, you know what, if you do something good, if you give or help somebody out, don't announce it, don't blow a trumpet, don't say, hey, look at me, I'm doing good. Instead, he said, do it in private, do it in secret. Because when you're in, doing something in secret, there's, there's no kickback, there's no applause, there's nobody who sees it. There's only one person who ultimately sees what you're doing when you do it in secret, and that person is God himself. It's the fruit of your private life that is perhaps the greatest indicator of who you really are on the inside. We, we talk a lot about integrity in our culture. A, a true person of integrity is somebody whose life, whose private life, and whose public life match up. But a person of integrity is also somebody whose inner life and whose outer life are in sync. When your inner life and your outer life are in sync, and your public life and your private life match up, they are integrated together. You are a person of integrity. What you see is what you get. Who you are on the inside ultimately is who you are on the outside. Now, here's the second concept that Jesus teaches. The source of your behavior, he says, is your heart. The source. So Jesus takes this idea even further. He says that your behavior has a source. Uh, it's as if your heart, he says, is a storage container. And it stores up good things and it stores up bad things. And eventually what is inside will come out to the surface. So there is this connectedness between your inner person and your outer person. Nobody kicks their dog out of the blue, right? A person
system doesn't accidentally behave badly. You don't spontaneously sabotage your marriage. What's going on inside of your heart eventually rises towards the surface. Now, if you if you study Jesus and you study his teachings, so many times he emphasizes the heart. And so I think it's worth taking a minute just to talk about the heart. What is the heart? How do we understand it? Many people today, when they talk about the heart, the heart of a person, um, we talk about it as if it is the center of our emotions. Okay, we, we maybe you've heard the phrase said before, you know, don't think with your head, feel with your heart. You heard that phrase before, right? So we like to talk about our heads, our brains, as the place of reason, the place of thinking, but we talk about our hearts as the place of emotion and the place of passion. But this is not how Scripture understood the human heart. As a matter of fact, just as an aside, that very idea was kind of passed on to us through the Romantic era of history. Okay? Uh, it's a Romanticism type of an idea, and uh, we kind of inherited it, and we take that idea and we impose it on Scripture when we read it. That is not how the Scripture understands the human heart. The human heart is not the center of emotions. Rather, it is the center of one's being, one's entire being. It's like the hub of a wheel. So every part of you, every part of your life is ultimately connected to your heart. Everything flows from the heart. It's, it's the inner you. It's the part of you that makes choices. It's the place where your deepest loyalties and allegiances lie. It's the place of your will. It's the place of your thoughts. It's the place of your emotions. In the pages of the Bible, if you walk through the Bible and you study the human heart, you discover that the human heart is the seat of rejoicing. It is the seat of worship. The human heart is the place of worship, of repentance, of spiritual awakening. The human heart is also the place where you experience lust and anger, doubt and evil thoughts. It's the place where faith flourishes or faith perishes. The human heart is the center of your being. And that is why Jesus continues to emphasize again and again the importance of paying attention to your heart attention to your heart. Jesus lived in a culture that placed a great deal of importance on performance. Its leaders placed a great emphasis on external behavior, but little emphasis on the heart. They, they, they taught that it was important to look good, to live clean, obey all the rules, keep up appearances, you know, make sure everybody knows about what you've done on Instagram. That was the kind of culture it was. The leaders and the influencers of this culture were called the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They they were the religious elite of their culture in their day, the creme de la creme of religious society. And, you know, as we walk through, we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke, we notice that there's increasing tension between Jesus. 
first clean the inside of the cupping dish, and then the outside will also be clean. What's he saying? He said, listen, Pharisees, you're missing the point. You've got to pay attention to the source. It's your heart. It's the inner you that matters most of all. Now, not surprisingly, our culture is not much different than first century culture. We are experts at image management in our culture. We stack our social platforms with beautifully staged profile pictures, carefully crafted posts, right? We're great at putting the best version of ourselves out there. I mean, nobody puts up butt ugly, morning breath, bad hair pictures, okay? Nobody does that, right? We get fit, we put on makeup, we buy the right clothes because we want to portray the right image. This is our culture. We are an image-driven culture. Meanwhile, we can neglect the most important version of ourselves, the most important part of who we are, our hearts. And, and we see this in every sphere of life. I mean, we see it in sports. We see it in entertainment. We even see it in politics, don't we? More than any other time in human history, human image management is at an all-time high. Character development is taking place. This is the world we live in today. And Jesus still speaks to us through the ages. He still speaks to us today. And he says, hey, you need to pay attention to your heart. It's not enough to change your behavior. It's not enough to manage your image. Because what's inside, ultimately, at the end of the day, will find its way to the outside. What you first need to change is your heart. If you change your heart, you will change your habits. And ultimately, if you change your habits, you change your destiny. You'll become the best version of you. In other words, the person God created you to be, created in the image of God, becoming more and more like Him, and changing the world around you. That transformation, that change, begins in the human heart. That's where it all begins. Here's the third concept. It's interesting. He says that your mouth, your mouth is a great monitor of ends with this final statement. Here's what he said. He says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. It, it's as if he's saying that the greatest, your mouth is the greatest monitor of your heart's health. Your, your mouth is the spiritual electrocardiogram of what's going on beneath the surface of your life. And that's an inter interesting statement. I mean, why does he emphasize the mouth? I mean, why not the feet? Or why not the fingers, Right? Why not the tongue or the ears? Or why, why does he emphasize the mouth? And what's what's interesting is that the scripture actually has a lot to say about what comes out of our mouth. It never treats words lightly in scripture. Um, think of it this way: when God created the world, what did He do? He spoke into it. He spoke words. Jesus taught that words matter. For Jesus, words were a big deal. Let me just give you an example from Matthew 12, verse 36 to 37. Here's what Jesus says. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, okay, at the end of all things, we all stand before God, before the throne. On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Wow. You know, it, it's a bit unnerving to think that every word that I say is being recorded, and that one day I will give an account for every single one of the words that I have spoken. Uh, words matter to God. What comes out of your mouth is important to God. And the reason why they're important is 
world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. The, the bottom line is, is that what comes out of your mouth is one of the greatest indicators of what's happening deep inside you. So let, let me give you just a couple of examples this morning. Um, maybe somebody slanders another person. You've been in their hearing, and, and they just come out, and they just start tearing down this other person. What does that reveal about what's going on inside of that person? You know, it might indicate that there's maybe some jealousy or some anger bubbling beneath the surface there. Or maybe it just reveals that there's a deep sense of insecurity within that person. They have to tear somebody else down to feel better about themselves. Or it could be, it could be just a, a deep sense of resentment or hurt that has not been forgiven. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it bubbles up and it leads to slander. Uh, let me let me give you another example: haughty mouth. Okay. Uh, in other words, you're the type of person who maybe fires off expletives at a moment's notice for no apparent reason, or you just blah, angry and beep 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 beep. You know what I'm saying? Okay. What do your f bombs reveal about what's going on inside of you? Okay. It could be. Deep-seated, unresolved anger. Anger, and maybe that results from, from, from being deeply hurt or overlooked or neglected. Or maybe it's just stubborn pride. Just deep, stubborn pride because you think that you're really, really, really important, right? And everybody else isn't. You're willing to hurt them because maybe there's a pride that you know. I don't know what it is. But your words reveal something about you. Of course, there's so many other examples. Bragging, boasting, lying, cutting words. Maybe the person who dominates a conversation just keeps talking and talking and talking. Don't give anybody else, you know, uh, a worse chance was. What does that reveal? Anxious words, doubtful words, hateful words. Our words reveal something about the heart. Now, of course, on the flip side, Okay, on the flip side, our words can also reveal tremendous things that's going on inside of us. Have you ever spent some time with a person who just continually elevates other people? You ever been around somebody like that? Or somebody who's just a, a great encourager? Or, um, you know, a thankful person? Somebody who's just like, oh, I'm so thankful to God for this, for this happening today. Or I found that parking spot, man, I'm just thankful to God. You know, the, the plant's not dying. Thank you, God. You know, it's just somebody who's just a thankful person. Or, uh, Maybe somebody who courageously speaks truth to power. Lovingly, gently, or courageously is willing to speak truth to 
So, so I, I've kind of had renovations on my brain for the last number of weeks. And so the question that's been bouncing around in my brain all week has been this. How is the human heart renovated? How does God renovate our hearts? Because ultimately that's Jesus' vision for his kingdom community. He wants to radically renovate our hearts so that we become like him inside and out. And so this morning, as we end, that's the question I want to answer. I want to get really, really practical this morning, and I want to briefly suggest three important steps towards heart renovation. Okay? Here's the first one. Examination. Examination. When it comes to renovating, the first step is you got to take a good look around to see what needs to get changed. You have to do a thorough inventory of your house. You have to decide what is going to stay and what is going to go. So you look under the covers, you probe the wiring, you check the plumbing, you go down to the basement and look for cracks and mold, okay? You've got to examine the space. And in the same way, you cannot renovate your heart unless you take a good look around. You need to look at what's going on beneath the surface of your life. Now, the challenge with self-examination is it is very easy, very, very easy to fool yourself. The prophet Jeremiah reminds us of this in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Here's what he says. He says, the heart is deceitful and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I don't know about you, but I'm pretty good at lying to myself. Often we lie to ourselves because we want to avoid the truth. And the reason we want to avoid the truth is we want to avoid the pain and discomfort that's required in transformation. Hey, renovation is hard work. But here's the thing. When God wants to do something in your life, He tells you something that's going to make you uncomfortable. And you can deal with the pain of transformation now, or you can deal with the pain of a ruined life later. And God is in the business of transforming renovating hearts and lives now. So it's difficult to examine your life without outside assistance. So to get past this barrier of self-deception that we all have, it's necessary, it is necessary to invite God to search your heart. You might pray something like the psalmist prays in Psalm 139, verse 23. He prays this. He says, search me, God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts. Because here's the thing, friends. You can't kid God can't hide anything from God. I mean, Adam and Eve tried it outside of the garden, right? Inside of the garden, hiding in the bushes, right? You can't hide from God. And, and if you truly pray that prayer, I mean, you truly pray, and you pray it from a place of utmost surrender and total honesty, God will shine a flashlight into the corners of your heart. You truly are honest and innocent. 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, The Spirit searches all things. He searches all things, even the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit in our lives is the great illuminator. He's like a highlighter pen, and he's going to mark the things in our lives that need to change, and he's going to mark the things that need to stay. Now, a bit of warning when you do self-examination, because I believe so often when we do self-examination, we, we dwell mostly on all the wrong things that are going on inside us. It is also important to see that there is tremendous good going on inside of us. This needs to be identified. This, this, this needs to be celebrated. You know, the Holy Spirit wants to shine His light not only in things that need to change, but He wants to shine His light on the good things, the good motives, the good desires, the inner change that happens. And He does this in our lives so that we turn back and we reflect praise back to God. We say, thank you, God, for the good things you have done. It is grace that has brought
walking safe thus far. Grace that will be me all. Thank you, God, for the good work you've done in our lives. Most of us see only how far we have yet to go. We forget to look back and see how far we have come. And the reason why we look back and remember is so that we can give God the glory for all that he's done. And it encourages us to move forward. So you need to allow the Holy Spirit to not only say, this has got to change, but this has got to stay until it protects the things of God. Here's the second one. The next step in renovation is just to tear stuff out. Listen, before you install a new sink and countertop, right, you have to pull out the old sink and countertop. You can't just put a sink and countertop on top of an old sink and countertop. That would be really, really bad. If you try that, you will have nightmares like I would, okay? The Bible has a word for this, this pulling stuff out. The word is repentance. What is repentance? Repentance ultimately just means to change your heart. It means to turn away from sin and to turn away, turn towards God to run away from the stuff that's killing you and run toward the God who wants to save you and wants to keep you running. It's a spiritual U-turn away from evil towards good. That's repentance. Did you know that you cannot bear fruit in your life as a follower of Jesus without repentance? Did you know that? You know, when John the Baptist confronted the Pharisees that are coming up to him while he's doing some baptizing, and uh, he confronted the Pharisees, uh, Pharisees and made this really interesting statement. Here's what he said. He said, produce fruit with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Good fruit in your life always begins with a repentant heart. If you ignore repentance in your life, you will not change. It is not enough just to know that there's a problem. You have to root it out. It all has to come out. Now, some of you might remember the show Homes on Homes. Anyone remember that from 10 years ago? Some of you were like six, okay? Uh, I don't know how old. This was back in 2010. Uh, it was on Home Guards Television. Holmes was, he was like a renovations expert. He'd go into a house that somebody had hired a contractor, and when the contractor came in, they totally botched the job, or, or they left it unfinished, and the people owning the house were like, oh, I don't know what to do. Well, let's call it Holmes on Holmes. He'd come in with his television crew, and, and he'd go into the house, and he'd look around, and he'd see what, what the botched renovation job had looked like. And after he had probed around and looked and seen what they had done and all the mistakes they'd made and all that sort of thing, he always had this one line always had this one line. Because he'd say, you know what, you, 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 I can't just touch this thing up. You know, I can't just do a little paint and, and the problem solved. His one line was always this. It's all got to come out. Okay? It's all got to come out. And so they would take the entire project, rip it out, rip it back all the way to the bones, and start over and begin again. There were no half measures or shortcuts with homes. Half measures was actually what got them to the problem first place. And I discovered that there are no half measures with the Holy Spirit. Renovation requires full repentance. Stuff has got to come out before new stuff can be put back in. You have to make a complete, full, spiritual U-turn before you can move forward. And Jesus promises if you first do that, you first change your heart, ultimately it will change your life. Now the good news about repentance 
should not be a terrifying thing. Repentance is a life-giving thing. You're turning away from death towards life. And Christ is always, always waiting for us to repent. He's not folding his arms saying, oh, I don't know. Yeah, today, uh, I know you repented yesterday. I don't think you're serious about repentance. His repentance, uh, his response to repentance So that's the next step. It's all going to come out. The next step is repentance. But here's the final one. It's dependence. It's dependence. Once everything has come out, it's time to put stuff back in. It's time to rebuild. This is the final stage of renovation. And as I said, God is in the business of rebuilding lives from the inside out. So how, how does that happen? How does this rebuilding happen in our lives? Well, it takes place when we do two things. It takes place when we surrender our lives to God's leadership and we completely depend on Him to do His work within us. And I'm going to say that over and over again uh, as we get to the close this morning. Galatians 5.22 teaches us this. It says that the fruit of the Spirit, notice that word, the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such that there is no law. You'll notice in there that it says the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? It's fruit in our lives comes from the activity of the work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot produce this fruit in our lives by ourselves, in our own human effort. It has to be the Spirit's work in our lives. So if you try and transform your human, your, your life, your heart, in your own strength, ultimately you will fail. And, and I know this to be true from personal experience. I think I could poll the audience here today and ask a number of you who have tried to change yourself in your own, own human effort, and you have discovered yourself falling flat on your face time and time again. It just does not work. Heart transformation requires full surrender and complete dependence on the Holy Spirit to change us. Let's look at what Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 5. Here's what he said. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. You're not the vine. You're the terrible vine. Okay? I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will what? You will bear much fruit. And, apart from me, you can do nothing. So, so Jesus' promise to each and every one of us is simply this. If you try and produce spiritual fruit yourself, you will fail. It will shrivel up and it will die. But if you draw near to him in full surrender and in complete dependence, he will renovate your heart. He will change you from the inside out. And so, friends, this morning, in order for the Spirit to do His deepest work in each and every one of us, we must first surrender ourselves to Him. We must say to Him, I am yours to command. Right? It's all got to come out. I am yours to command. And then we must admit our powerlessness to change ourselves and fully trust and depend on Him to change us. There is no other way. It is the work and the activity of the Holy Spirit from the vine to the branches. A number of you know my story, one of the issues that I've had among many in my life is the issue of anger. When I was in high school, I was a very, very angry person, horribly angry person. 
Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton, and you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.